Welcome to Industry Leader's Journey. My name is Sue Shim. Today, we'll be learning about plastics. Do you know what happens after you put your plastic into the recycle bin? I invited Julie McCulloden, the Chief Procurement Officer and VP of Transformation at Eastman Chemical, so we can demystify the plastic recycling reality. Eastman committed to recycling more than 500 million pounds of plastic waste annually by 2030. You will learn from Julie how they do this and what her team does to achieve this goal. Now, let's begin the journey. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for joining me today. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. I'm excited to learn more about the circular economy today. Hi, Sue. It's great to see you and glad to have the opportunity to join you here. All right. So, Julie, before we jump into the circular economy, I want to start with just you. You've been, uh, you've been around in the chemical industry so long. And how did you get here? So tell me about your current responsibilities. So I'm currently with Eastman Chemical Company. I joined Eastman in August of 2016. And my current role is Chief Procurement Officer and Vice President of Transformation for the company. Wow, two roles. <laughs> <laughs> yep, two big roles, but I've got a great team on both sides. So they help to make it easy. Perfect. Uh, so we'll talk about definitely the role of procurement today and also the role of transformation. What does that mean? You know, I think we're in a very critical juncture here and transforming the world and to be more sustainable. So looking forward to learn more about that. So how long have you been uh, in the chemical industry? Maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you got there. Yeah, so I joined the industry in 1990 and um, started my career with Dow. And I actually uh, grew up in Canada and went to the University of Western Ontario. I thought I wanted to go to med school, but then made the bad choice of uh, doing a double major in biology and chemistry. So if you want to get great marks, that's probably not the best <laughs> program to choose to get into med school. So plan B actually was to find a commercial role, go into sales for a science technology based company. And so I did get a sales opportunity with Dow as a sales trainee. And uh, so started with them in Canada. Wow. Another Canadian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I noticed that you really moved around a lot in your journey. You stopped in many, many different, like physically different cities. So how many times have you moved? Uh, well, I've stopped counting, but I think that there's at least 10, all within North America. So I currently uh, live in the United States and now have dual citizenship, but I've had a range of roles and opportunities, started in sales, moved into marketing and product management, moved into global business management. And, you know, now I work at an enterprise level, building capabilities and, and leading large functions. So it's been a pretty exciting journey, but definitely lots of change along the way. 10 different locations in 26-ish years before coming to Eastman, Kingsport, Tennessee. And I think I've had, oh, I don't know, something like 14 or 15 different roles through the course of that journey as well. So only three companies I've worked for, but uh, but a lot of moves along the way. Right. And when I look at your resume, basically, the only thing that is missing 
is uh, maybe starting your own chemical company and becoming your own CEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I love enabling uh, capabilities in inside companies. So mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to start, go out on my own <laughs> at this point. Yes. But you know, the one word that comes to my mind is superwoman, right? Like, uh, how does she do it? And as a female executive, People ask me the same question and I always feel that like I'm not good enough or am I doing enough? All those questions, the balance, what's your perspective on that? So it starts with, you know, hard work, perseverance, and having a vision of what you're aiming for, you know, long-term goals and aspirations, and then a lot of support along the way. So, you know, I grew up in a family where neither of my parents had college education. In fact, my father was an immigrant to Canada from Holland when he was a young boy and he was the oldest of five children. So he has actually uh, completed his eighth grade education and then went to work to help support his family. Uh, But all of his siblings actually have advanced degrees uh, and college education. So I had that example. And as I was raised, I can never remember a time when there wasn't the expectation that I was gonna go to university that I was going to be independent, self-sustaining, and then I could decide, you know, if I wanted to be married and have a family and all those things. But the first expectation was that I had to create a life for myself and I never contemplated a different path. So, so that is what I followed and, uh, you know, had good, good mentors and sponsors along the way as well through my career. Uh, You know, people saw my determination and and how I approach things and were great at supporting me, uh, challenging me, making sure I was learning the right things along the way and being developed in the right direction and also speaking out and supporting me to open up doors and opportunities. How about the uh, family balance? How did you manage that moving your family around? Yep. So that's been interesting. You know, I started and had a career and had been 10 years into my career when I actually met my husband. And we kind of knew almost instantly that we were meant for each other. And, you know, this was the right person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that for me, it was figuring out how am I going to figure out this new balance? I've been single and could work whenever and do whatever, whenever I wanted. And now I had to incorporate that in, but it worked great. And I would say that I'm incredibly lucky to have a wonderful husband who is very supportive, uh, very much looking at how we work as a team together Mm -hmm. and share achieving our future goals and aspirations together. And I think that without that, it wouldn't be possible because, you know, as families come along, we've just figured out how to roll with it. And then also know that, you know, you can't be perfect in everything, right? Perfection is just not a worthy pursuit anyways, but you can't possibly be good at everything. So you've got to make trade-offs and decide what's most important and where are you going to spend the time? So it's been those balances and trade-offs and choices along the way that have really made it possible. But 
honestly, without Mike being so fantastic, I probably wouldn't be so successful either. Okay, so uh, from the circle of your supporters, let's talk about the circular economy, <laughs> shifting the gear. <laughs> I've been wondering about this recycling. I've been doing it for more than 20 years, but each time I really wonder, like whenever I throw this plastic away, first of all, like, can I recycle this or not? Every time I ask, right? <laughs> and then I heard recently it's only like 9 to 10% of the whole thing they collect in the city gets really recycled like what happens then the rest of it is that really true <laughs> what can we do more well un unfortunately it is you know there are many different kinds of plastics and obviously different forms from your water bottle to the, the food films that you use to wrap up your leftovers as you stick them in the fridge uh, and they're all different kinds of plastics. And if you look on the bo bottom of a package, you might find a recycle triangle with a number inside. And really today with mechanical recycling, the only thing that can be recycled are number one and number two plastics. And there's actually seven different categories of plastics. Uh, so there's very little that is actually recyclable in our municipal recycle streams. So a lot of plastics aren't. And so then they get moved to landfill, or unfortunately, as we've seen, you know, some of them end up on the side of the road or uh, in the past shipped overseas and unfortunately end up in the environment somewhere else in the world. Mechanical recycling is, uh, is not the most economical, so it has limited use. Uh, the quality of the plastic coming out of mechanical recycling is not as good as its original. Mm -hmm. And over cycles of recycling, it actually deteriorates more. So it has a limited life there. When you say mechanical recycling, why is it called mechanical? So what happens in the process is the container with the blue box, all of those items are collected. They go to a recycling facility where they're sorted, they're washed, they're chopped up, and then they're actually remelted into pellets so that they can go back and be reformed into a new material or good. So that's the mechanical part is that chopping and washing and melting and everything that happens there. And in Eastman, you guys are doing something different than mechanical recycling. We are, and I'm pretty proud, you know, Eastman is leading in this space. The chemical industry overall, I would say, is really starting to pick up on the idea of molecular or chemical recycling, and Eastman is certainly helping to lead the way. Uh, and what's different about that is that we're actually leveraging a chemical process to take more plastic waste than what can be recycled in, in the mechanical stream and melting it and breaking it back down into its molecular building blocks so that we can actually transform it back into an original state of high quality pure material. So you have special technologies to do this. I read about this carbon renewal versus polyester renewal technologies to melt that down to the molecular level. Can you explain what's the difference? So the polyester renewal technology is just what it says it is. So it is a molecular recycling process that actually takes polyester waste. So that can be in the form of PET bottles. It could be colored bottles. It could be um, used carpet fiber. It could be clothing, polyester clothing that's, uh, that's waste. Uh, and all of that can actually go into the front end and be unzipped back to its building blocks 
and then reformed into brand new material. Wow, that's cool. I never knew that you cannot recycle the colored plastic bottle like those, um, like 7-Up green bottle. Right, Sprite, 7-Up. Yep, <laughs> exactly. And the other technology that we have is the carbon renewal technology. And that can take any kind of plastic except PVC mm -hmm. and basically do the same thing, break it down into its molecular building blocks and put it back into new, new material. Speaking of new material, what kind of products do they make? So the materials that come out of these two recycling technologies are just like new. They are brand new molecules, brand new polymer. And uh, so it can go into applications like any other plastic. And a lot of what we do is fabrics. We have synthetic fabrics and textiles. We uh, do everything from eyeglass frames to uh, cosmetic packaging to reusable hydration bottles. Uh, a lot of different durable goods, uh, you know, household appliance, housings, all kinds of different durable items. And as a consumer, how do I recognize that? A lot of the consumer brand owners are labeling these materials to say that they have, uh, you know, recycled material in them. So if you read the label, it will say that it's got recycled content and where it came from and, uh, and give you the source. So you always want to look for that to find out what's in there. Wow, that's super interesting. So those waste materials are the feedstock for this process. That means you as a procurement have to go find and source this waste. How do you do that? We're actually having to build new supply chains. So going back to the, you know, the data fact that you shared earlier about recycling really only captures about nine to 10%. Uh, we actually need to create new waste collection streams to bring materials in to our plants to be able to input them into the front end of the process. And so we're actually working with uh, a lot of different stakeholders and industry value chain participants to create these new value streams to bring these materials back to collect them. You know, if you think about the carpet industry, somebody goes and installs a new carpet, they're usually removing old carpet. Well, we're actually creating partnerships with uh, carpet installers and industry participants to actually bring that used carpet back so that we can feed those fibers into our plants. Wow. And also thinking about post-consumer, but also post-industrial. So in things like making eyeglass frames, there's actually a lot of waste in the process of cutting out the frame for your eyeglasses. It's like cookie dough. So if you think of a sheet and you cut out your cookies, you've got all this uh, template that's left around where your cookies were. So that's not reusable for them. So we're actually arranging uh, take back programs with many of our customers so that their waste in, in their production can come straight back to us. Right. and we return it in the form of credits. I, I read about another product that is really uh, interesting to me. It's uh, called Naya. It's something to do with the fabric, right? I haven't touched it, but you look so soft. So I was fascinated about it and it was made, uh, made of pulp from the wood, uh, the tree, right? It is. It is made from um, cellulosic fiber from trees. 
it is sustainably sourced, so we actually work to uh, ensure that our uh, sources of pulp don't come from endangered or ancient forests and that they don't come from forests or places where logging is actually harming the environment or nature and, and animals uh, that are living there. And so, so we work very closely with our suppliers and look for certifications like FSC, which is the Forestry Sustainability Council, to ensure that we have FSC certified materials going into our plants and that we're sourcing those responsibly. So that really requires my team members to be extremely knowledgeable about the industry right. from a sourcing perspective, but then also understanding what our customers need and what's important to them. When we talk about customers, we're actually talking about the brand owners, the clothing designers, mm -hmm. and what they want in their brand and in their clothing and their reputation. And all of that flows back into what we need to source at the beginning of the process. Yeah, that, that, that's really exciting that uh, procurement is actually really helping that what customer needs and, and uh, making sure that the brand shines. But it probably is not easy to always, uh, you know, making sure that certification is correct or identifying those uh, suppliers. Like you said, you're building new supply chain. What are the main challenges? Well, we really need our suppliers to understand what's required so that they're also, to your point, ensuring that they've got the capacity and the supply to supply what we need and are sourcing from the right places and, and making their growth investments there. The other thing is that, you know, we audit our suppliers so that we don't just trust what they say. We actually go out and audit and we use industry standards to do that. We're a member of Together for Sustainability, which is an industry-wide organization that focuses on sustainable procurement. And uh, we have sustainability assessment tools as well as audit procedures that we use to go validate that what our suppliers tell us is in fact true in reality. The other thing that we do is, uh, you know, make sure that that certification is traceable and documentable so that if a customer wants to audit us, we can show them the paper trail, if you will, for, for that sourcing. Right. So that's, I guess, where the like, SAP system comes in, uh, tracking the data. Exactly. It becomes our system of record to keep track of all of that information and data. And so that if somebody is looking for that history and that record, we can make a clear link between the material that we sourced, when we produced it, the batches and lots of material that we made, who we shipped it to, when, and, uh, and the customer can track what it was used for. Um, I'm going to shift the gear a little bit. So you've been achieving so much and then learned so much about the chemical industry. What is your vision for your next destination in your journey? I'm at a point where giving back and enabling our company capability and helping us to realize our strategy is really important. And we're at a very exciting time from an Eastman perspective in terms of sustainability being a cornerstone of our innovation and everything we do from an innovation perspective and how that then permeates through how we operate, how we think, and how we work together and, and bring products to the market. And from a transformation perspective, you know, connecting our capabilities and our culture to that strategy so that we can really deliver on it and uh, bring great things to the marketplace and improve the quality of life, not only for customers and, the, and consumers in general, but also for our employees 
is a great place to be. And so I'm excited about, you know, the role of transformation and the potential that that brings to, to build that connection. Then what would you advise if you could uh, meet your 22 years old self today? <laughs> uh, you know, keep your vision, work hard, persevere, but enjoy the ride along the way. Yeah. And don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, have fun, right? <laughs> you know, preparing for this interview, I learned about uh, George Eastman, so the yeah. founder of Eastman Kodak, and the man who enabled us to keep these Kodak moments on the film. So this made me think of uh, great business people um, always leave this long-lasting impact uh, after they are gone. So on that note, what would you want to leave behind? Well, you know, I'm passionate about change for improvement's sake, and I always want to leave things better than I found them, and also to develop team members and help them grow and realize their full potential and use their superpowers every day at work and in life, and, and that's really where I see that I can have the biggest impact and influence is how I work with others and how we make things better for the future. Super. So final question, finish this sentence. I am optimistic. I'm optimistic because we are continually innovating in the world, finding novel solutions to problems that have existed for a long time. And as crazy as sometimes things may seem, we keep finding new ways to reinvent ourselves, reinvent solutions and, and solve some of the world's greatest problems. And, and I think that's a reason to, to stay optimistic and always believe that there is something better coming. Thank you so much for being a great partner with us and SAP and also being Think Tank member. And we'll continue that innovation here. Great. Well, it's a pleasure, Sue. I'm looking forward to continuing to working together. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Ariba.com.